Hello, Willingdon Church family. It is a privilege to be with you today. And today I'm going to be preaching about taking advice. And the title of my sermon is Don't Tell Me What to Do. Because I'm sure that's how most of us feel when someone tries to give us advice. And you know, speaking of advice, I had a number of you give me some good advice recently saying that I should shave off my mustache and cut my hair. And so thank you for your advice. I did take it to heart. It was, it was very well received. But anyways, I want to talk a bit about my parents. I think I have incredible parents. I think I won the parent lottery or something when God chose to have me born into my family. As amazing as they are, though, we still have our own problems. And one of our biggest struggles, struggles in our relationship is their inclination to give me advice. Don't get me wrong, though. I love personal development and being challenged and growing in self-awareness. But if the opportunity to grow in these areas comes through the form of my parents trying to give me unsolicited advice, I cringe a little inside and my blood pressure starts to rise. Internally, I think to myself, don't tell me what to do. Maybe I need to bring this up with my counselor. I don't know. But in any case, I seriously dislike being given unsolicited advice. The irony is, what my parents usually tell me is actually great advice. And if I listened to most of the things they told me, I'd probably be a much better human being. But there's something about being told what I should do, someone trying to tell me the way I should live, that I instinctively feel offended by it. It can be pretty offensive to think that your personal views aren't good enough. I'm thinking of our young parents out there in our church. Don't you love it when you have people over to your house and your newborn child is having a tough time falling asleep? You know, they're crying uncontrollably. And then everyone suddenly becomes a sleep expert and they know exactly what your kid needs. One person says, don't go to calm them down. They need to cry it out and learn to fall asleep on their own. And the next person says, let them cry for five minutes and then go calm them down. And then the last person says, you should always go calm them down as soon as, they as soon as you hear them cry, or they might grow up and have abandonment issues. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense when people try to give you advice. Isn't it annoying, though, when people try to suggest what you should do, even though you never asked for it? Shouldn't people know better and stop trying to correct things that they were never actually asked to correct? Well, if we look in the book of Proverbs, Here's what it has to say to us in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Apparently, we are stupid if we get frustrated by people correcting us. We're stupid if we get upset when people offer their advice to us. Now, do any of our parents out there hear a verse like that and start to feel justified in trying to correct your kids on everything? Well, if that's you, don't get too excited because this means that you need to also be open to accepting correction from your kids if they call you out for being overbearing towards them. This verse is calling all of us out for being stupid when we resent or ignore the correction people try to give us. And I'll be the first to say, I can be really stupid when it comes to ignoring good advice because of whatever pride or insecurity exists within me. So I hope you don't mind having a stupid pastor preach to you today. Now, if we lower our guards down 
and approach God's word today with a posture of humility, we will see that it contains some powerful wisdom that will be used to shape our lives for the better. Today, we're going to jump on Proverbs a bit and highlight different wise sayings that pertain to taking advice. I want to start with reading Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 to 12. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. You might wonder what this passage has to do with advice, because it uses the words of discipline and rebuke. These words are usually much more authoritative than advice. However, they also overlap with giving advice, as God tells us through discipline and through rebukes how we should live and corrects our poor decisions through that. So when it comes to receiving counsel and how we should live, how to make the best decisions in life, the greatest source of advice comes from God. So the first point I want to make is God is the greatest source of advice. This is an important place to start because it can be so easy for us to rely on the wisdom and opinions of others and fail to make time for God when it comes to making big decisions. We make countless decisions every single day. Some of them will align with what God wants for us and others will contradict what God wants for us. That being said, when we live in a way that goes against God's ways and will for our lives, we don't need to be surprised when he ends up disciplining us and putting us in our place. Most of us don't like being disciplined. We don't appreciate things being done to us that are uncomfortable or even downright painful. But there are countless examples of people all throughout the Bible being disciplined by God for their evil actions and disobedience. One account is in Numbers chapter 12, where Moses' sister Miriam starts grumbling and hating on Moses' leadership because she wants to have more authority for herself. After she complains against Moses, God gives her leprosy as a way of disciplining her. Moses then cries out to God on her behalf, and she was eventually restored. No one wants to suffer from a debilitating and isolating skin disease like leprosy. But in Miriam's case, God graciously afflicted her with this condition as sort of a wake-up call, that she needed to trust in God's choice to institute Moses as the main leader of Israel. Also, given her influential position as the lead prophetess of Israel, the fact that she was quickly disciplined with leprosy actually saved her from far worse things happening to her life. And even the people of Israel, if God continued letting her complain and grumble against Moses' leadership. Now, that's a story from the Bible. There's also been times in my life when God has spoken to me and given me discipline and advice that I needed to hear. I remember when I felt discouraged about working in the church. I was wondering if being a pastor was really what God called me to, or if I'd have far more potential to evangelize and share the good news of Jesus working in secular industries. I had different opportunities come up and was seriously considering them while also trying to discern my calling as a pastor. Through this process, I was reminded of a time when I went through a terrible burnout that lasted over three years, and I didn't think I would ever be able to go forward with the calling that I felt before to become a pastor. 
About one and a half years into the burnout, I was only feeling worse, and I was convinced my life and my future were over. I began crying out to God, asking him why would he take away my ability to work so early in life? As I was crying out to him, I saw a vision of Jesus putting a beautiful, glorious crown on my head. I immediately denied this vision though because I thought it could not be from God. It seemed more like a random prideful thing that I made up in my own mind. After I denied this vision, through prayer, I sensed God told me to read 1 Peter. And I read in 1 Peter chapter five that there's this statement where Peter's addressing church leaders and he says in verse four that if they've been faithful, then Jesus will appear and give them the unfading crown of glory. As soon as I read this, I was completely stunned and God was telling me he still had a plan for my life, that I would recover from this burnout and he still wanted me to serve him as a leader in the church. So now fast forward a number of years later, I recovered from the burnout, but I returned to a place of discouragement. And while I was considering other work opportunities other than ministry, I had people praying with me and discerning with me what I should do. So through this time, over the course of a few months, I had these three individuals all approach me on separate occasions. The first person came up to me and they said, I was praying for you and I saw a vision of you wearing a crown. Does that mean anything to you? I just started to laugh. I was like, really? Are you kidding me? Okay, that's, that's crazy. Then another month goes by, another person comes up to me and they say, hey, I was praying for you and I just sensed the verse 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 4 come to mind. Does that mean anything to you? I was like, okay, yeah, wow, that's, that's pretty significant. Then finally, the third person comes up to me about a month or two after that, and they say, hey, I was praying for you, and I just saw this vision of you walking with Jesus, but you were wearing a crown, and I just kept on hearing Jesus say to you, the crown is still on your head. Don't worry, the crown is on your head. And at that point, I was like, okay, God, I think you're trying to say something to me. I think my calling to serve as a pastor is still alive and well. And so every time I come to that place of discouragement, I'm reminded of God's advice, God shifting my focus and and pointing me in this direction that he's wanted me to go after all, no matter how discouraged I get. We don't always know why things happen in life. Not every bad thing is an act of discipline from God, but nor is it a work of the devil or merely coincidence either. What we do know from this passage in Proverbs though is that at times God will discipline us. God intentionally allows for pain or discomfort to enter our lives at times because he loves us. It will help correct us and to live the way that he commands and advises us in his word. The book of Proverbs teaches us that there is almost always something to learn about God in every situation. Proverbs teaches us to observe the wisdom that God wove into the fabric of creation by simply paying attention to the world around us and taking time to reflect on our experiences in light of God's truth. Looking to God is the first place we should go when seeking advice. Now, We know that the Bible doesn't explicitly address every type of decision we must make. Hence why God encourages us in his word to listen to advice from other people as well. Other people have life experience, unique perspectives, and even wisdom from God that they've gotten to share with us that can help us greatly and even transform our experience of life. 
So when it comes to looking for advice from others, where do we start? We need to check our crew and hang around the wise. God is the greatest source of advice, but there are also countless people who can give us godly advice. How do we choose who exactly we should listen to? For starters, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 12 says, mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. This is a negative example, speaking to those of us who are arrogant and don't like being corrected, therefore we avoid wise people. One of the implications of this is that we will all need to be corrected in different areas of our lives. And if we talk to people who are wise, there's a good chance they will say things that contradict our views because our views need to change. We all have wrong ideas and unhealthy perspectives on things, and a wise person will help provide good advice to correct us. We have a choice, though. Will we go to the wise people in our lives, even though they might give us advice that contradicts what we think? Or will we avoid them and just go to people who agree with everything that we say? I remember a time when I was about to make a big financial decision about a vehicle. It was nearly double what I had budgeted. But out of boredom and curiosity, I saw this SUV and contacted the owner and talked them down to 30% below its market value. Once I realized that purchasing this vehicle could actually be a reality for me, only a little bit over my budget, I began to ask wise people in my life to speak into my decision-making process. This includes people like Pastor Ray, Pastor Willie, Penny, and some of my inner circle of best friends. Don't tell those people I'm sharing this, though, or it might go to their heads. A little confession, though, is that initially, I did not want to ask for their advice. I was worried they might tell me that I shouldn't get the vehicle, and I'd already convinced myself that it was probably a good investment, and I didn't want anyone to tell me otherwise. I avoided these wise people for a bit because I was afraid they might challenge me and discover how materialistic I can be for even considering a purchase like that. Little did I know, it doesn't take people very long to discover that I am materialistic. We're all works in progress. Anyway, after seeking the advice from all these people about this purchase, I received wise counsel and I ended up turning down the great deal that I'd received. It made much more sense in the long run to get a cheaper vehicle at this stage of my life. So, I could have just asked a few people in my life who I knew would cheer me on and probably support me in getting whatever vehicle I wanted, but thankfully, I had wise people in my life. And these people advised me otherwise and saved me from all the potential regrets of overextending myself for a depreciating asset like a car. The advice these wise people gave me was life-giving. So then, how do we know if people are wise? How do we discern who we should have in our inner circle of advisors? First, find people who will point you to Jesus. Second, find people who aren't afraid to challenge you. Third, find people who seek to practice what they preach. And finally, fourth, find people who provide life-giving advice. 
Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31 says, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. If we continue to make wise people our primary source of advice, then eventually we will become like them ourselves. And then we will also be able to offer others sound advice that can dramatically improve their lives as well. Good advice is a gift that keeps on giving. So check your crew and make sure you have wise people in your life. And that also brings me to my next point. Listen to good advice and then you'll become the wise. Through the invention of things like the internet, smartphones, podcasts, and Reddit, which is the greatest of all information sources, we have unprecedented access to information unlike any other time in history. These inventions have been a huge gift to us as they allow us to learn so much and be exposed to different perspectives on life that we otherwise might have never heard about. One of the dark sides, though, is that there are an endless amount of rabbit holes that we can go down through all of our online research and our deep dives into cyber subcultures. Just a few searches on Google or clicking on a few random recommended videos on YouTube, and we can find ourselves in some really weird places on the internet. We also have the ability to choose what we expose ourselves to and which kinds of opinions and voices we want to allow to speak into our lives. This can further entrench our rampant individualism and bolster instead of broadening our existing views. The way internet and social media advertising algorithms work is that they analyze the things that you already believe and prefer, and then they bring all sorts of businesses, personalities, and resources your way that support your existing views simply so that they can make money off you purchasing their products or subscribing to their platforms. The further entrenched we become in our views, the more we begin to think that we are actually pretty wise and that our ways are the best ways. It shouldn't surprise us when we have very little patience for or interest in the advice that other people might have to share with us. Some of us might feel this way. I know I certainly do at times, but this is what Proverbs has to say. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. It's pretty normal for us to watch how other people act and think, I wouldn't do that, or, man, my ways are so much better. Part of the human condition is that we often think our ways are the best. We build ourselves up by looking down on other people's views. The higher we esteem our own views, the more we don't want to invite others to speak into our lives, lest they suggest things that contradict us. We convince ourselves that we are somebody great when we are actually fools. We don't need to be stuck here, though. There is a way forward, and that is by humbly acknowledging our own limitations and beginning to seek out and listen to other people's advice. Now, I don't want us to leave here today thinking that it's simply a nice suggestion that we should take advice from God and others. If you're like me, and prone to getting frustrated when others try to give you advice and therefore choose to ignore it, then we need to consider the cost of ignoring advice. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 10 says, 
Stern discipline awaits anyone who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. The fourth point is ignoring advice leads to death. Wow, I bet you weren't expecting that. You might have thought like, you can get really hurt if you ignore advice or, or miss out on really big opportunities. No, you die. <laughs> Proverbs 15 verse 10 is pretty blunt that ignoring advice leads to death. So some of you might be wondering, maybe this is hyperbole and it's just trying to be emphatic about the importance of advice. You can look at it that way, but I would contend that it's true in a literal and spiritual sense. Think about it. If you're considering doing something dangerous and someone advises you not to, then you can either choose to accept their correction or to ignore them. If you hate people telling you what you should do, then you could end up making some pretty bad decisions. For me, I was told that I should never rock climb without proper gear. And most of the time, I've listened to that wise advice. However, there was a time when I was rock climbing up the Chief in Squamish that I ignored that good advice. This climb that I did had around 16 pitches, which means that each pitch, my friend and I needed to set up an anchoring and belay station. And that's a lot of work. We ended up climbing for around eight to nine hours straight. And just after the midway point, there was a section that looked really easy, like we wouldn't have to set up an anchoring and belay point. So I figured, let's just go for it and free climb. I got about 20 feet up and realized I could seriously hurt myself if I fell. So I kept going as I figured the top was near. Well, that part of the climb ended up being farther than I thought. And at one point I was climbing and it wrapped around a corner. So I was on a new edge. And this one was now a hundred feet off the ground. If I slipped and let go at that point, I would die. This made me a little nervous and my hands started to sweat so badly that the chalk on my hands wasn't doing anything. I was really scared about my hand slipping off the hold, so I shoved my hand into a crack in the wall to wedge my arm in there so I wouldn't slip out. In the heat of the moment, I forgot that I was wearing my Apple watch, and wedging my arm into the crack ended up smashing the face of my watch. It was a really small price to pay for my stupidity and a reminder that I should always wear the proper gear when climbing, no matter how easy the climb looks and also that I shouldn't wear nice watches when I rock climb, but hey. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 32 says, those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. If I say that I love myself and care about my life, but then you catch me someday rock climbing again without proper safety gear, then I think it's fair to say that I must despise myself and not actually care much about my life after all. Listening to advice can literally be the difference between life and death. The more we ignore good advice, the more we go down paths that lead us to death in a variety of ways. When it comes to taking advice, it's not just our physical life that's at stake, though. It's also our spiritual life. The good news of Jesus Christ is so simple that a child could understand it, and that being said, it's also so profound and multifaceted that the most brilliant minds in all of history have yet to explore the breadth of its truth and implications. We learn through Jesus that he is the only way to God. 
and that the work he did on the cross is what every person needs to be reconciled to God. We also have the Bible to give us a solid foundation of truth that applies to all areas of our lives. But as I mentioned before, near the beginning of the sermon, the Bible doesn't explicitly address many of the challenges and decisions we face in life. For that, we need wisdom and discernment for how to apply the transformational truths that God gives to us, wisdom for our spiritual life. For example, cohabitation, or the practice of living with a romantic partner before you're married to them, is a very common practice in our culture, done by both Christians and non-Christians alike. And people give a lot of compelling reasons to support this practice, such as, you know, you need to test out living with someone before you can commit to them. Or, you know, it's a lot more economical and practical to live together in Vancouver. And the list goes on. On top of that, There's nowhere in the Bible that says you can't live with your romantic partner before you're married. So if that's the case, why do followers of Jesus advise against this practice? Is it sinful? Is it wrong? It all goes back to the need for wisdom and good advice. The Bible may not say anything explicitly about cohabitation, but it sure has a lot of beautiful and powerful statements about sexuality, purity, the covenant of marriage, and fidelity to one sexual partner. When you take all these things together, these biblical concepts clearly oppose the notion of cohabitation. If you argue that Christians should be able to live together before marriage, but you haven't spent much time reading what God has to say about marriage, and you haven't sought the advice of wise people about this topic, then I'm sorry to break it to you, but you're being what Proverbs would call a fool. And this foolishness could actually lead you to spiritual death. Beyond what the Bible says, wisdom and experience tells us that cohabitation creates a tremendous amount of unnecessary temptation to engage in sexual practices outside of marriage. Also, there's many people who've had very bad experiences with cohabitation. It's also a lot more common to have messy split-ups due to the lack of covenantal commitment that marriage provides. Statistically speaking, relationships where people live together before they're married are more likely to end in divorce. Isn't it fascinating when statistical truths coincide with the truths of God's word? Now, this example of cohabitation is far more layered and nuanced than we can fully address right now. But that being said, If you're struggling to understand what to do in a situation like this, and you want to talk more about it and its complexities, feel free to send me an email. I would love to chat with you. I would also encourage you to get a wise mentor, which we have plenty of in our church who would love to listen to you and walk with you through these things. The advice you can get from them could potentially save your life. When we receive good advice, As it pertains to our physical and spiritual well-being, it truly saves us from death. And that leads me to the last point. Good advice leads to life. And also kind of rhymes, which is cool. Good advice leads to life. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6 says this. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. I've brought up a whole bunch of things today, some of them left intentionally unresolved. 
because a sermon can't address and answer every important question for us. That's not what they're meant to do anyway. I used to think that a weekly sermon would be enough spiritual advice and direction for me to be sustained and guided as a follower of Jesus throughout my life. But was I ever wrong? I would say that faithfully listening to a sermon every week is not even close to what we need to live a life that honors God. Our lives are way too complex and challenging to be guided by one Christian message every week when we're literally exposed to thousands of anti-Christian messages and influences through media, internet, friends, coworkers, every single day. Your life and relationship with God are too important to limit them to a single church service as your source of advice. So my advice for you today is that if you say your faith in God is the most important thing in your life, then make sure your life reflects that. Stuff comes up daily that we will need solid advice in order to make wise, effective decisions on. We need to first and foremost go to God every day, read his word, seek him in prayer in order to receive the greatest advice possible. But beyond that, we need to seek the advice of any and all wise people that are around us. The victories that we can experience in the decisions we make is largely tied to who we allow to speak into things. Life is a battle. There are attacks made against us every day, whether it's the enemy tempting us, the dark forces of this world and culture oppressing us, or even self-sabotage. We have a bunch of decisions to make, and they can result in good or evil. It's up to us to seek out advice to give us the best chance of making good decisions that lead to life. So what are some good places to start? How do you build up a wise crew and get mentors? Well, contact the church because we have people to offer you. We got mentors we can throw your way. We got D groups, life groups, people you can get involved with. It's a great place to start to build up a wise crew and to give each other good advice to go through life. And you can check out our website for more information on that as well. These days, wisdom appears to be a lost art. When people try to offer us advice, we often think, don't tell me what to do. But we can see in the book of Proverbs that it's incredibly wise to listen to advice because no matter how much we might dislike it, it can actually make the difference between life and death. So let's reclaim the lost art of wisdom. Let's humble ourselves and seek out advice from God and others. And as we do this, our lives will inevitably look more like Jesus and make an eternal impact on the people around us as we increasingly live the ways that God calls us to. Let's pray. God, Thank you for being so involved in our lives. Thank you, God, that you care about the big things and the little things, that, God, you're at work in the details, and that you give us amazing advice for whatever it is that we're going through. So, God, may we be wise enough to go to you first, to seek your word, to seek you in prayer, and also, God, that we would be asking you for the right people, the wise crew that we need, mentors, friends, peers, to speak your truth, your wisdom, your advice to us. And so Lord, I pray that as we grow into a wise people, a wise community, 
that we would just have great things to offer this world, Lord Jesus, that we could live our lives in a way that gives you honor and glory and makes your truth and love known to the world around us. And so, God, would you humble us in the ways that we need to be humbled? Would you um, tear down the insecurities that might prevent us from receiving advice and being open to advice? And that, Lord Jesus, just as you, God, are love, would we also become more like love ourselves. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.